Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast, where we're committed to helping you know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. Let's get to today's message. Hey, what's up, everybody? My name is Aaron DeLong. I'm the lead pastor here at Simple Church. I want to say thank you so much for tuning in today. Man, I hope that uh, wherever you are, that you are enjoying your opportunity to connect with God, that you uh, connected with him through worship, and man, that that ministered to your heart. I love our worship team, and I'm so thankful for them. And uh, what they've continued to do in this, uh, in this season is to continue to help us remain connected to God through worship. Uh, today we are going to continue our series called Neighborliness, and this is the fourth week in this series. And if you'll recall, if you were with us at the beginning of the series, I asked you to lean in, to listen, because I know that this is a heavy subject. I know that it, it is going to be tough for all of us. It's been tough for me, and I know through a number of you that I've talked to, this has been difficult for you to come through. And I just want to remind you that we're leaning in and listening and allowing God to break our hearts. This is a prayer that we prayed through the Dangerous Prayer series. We learned to pray that, and I'm telling you that these issues of social uh, injustice, the economic uh, oppression of people, the racism that exists systemically and within our own lives, these are things that breaks the heart of God, and they're worth leaning into. They're worth listening to and asking God, what is it that, that we need to do? How do we participate? Because if we are to love you with all of our heart, that's the greatest commandment, Jesus said, and he said the second one is just as equal, and that is to love our neighbors as ourselves, which our neighbors means that all of mankind, all of humanity, all the people that hold the image of God, and that's everyone, if we're to love all of them as ourselves, we're going to have to learn to reach across these dividing lines. And as we do, as we lean in, as we're curious to learn people's stories, as we're curious to hear their experiences that are different than ours, what we're going to find is the beauty of God that exists there. So in week one, we talked about some of the reasons why we might have a hard time doing this, things like inattentional blindness, things that we've never understood or even recognized because we didn't have to, it wasn't part of our experience, or maybe things that were implicit biases, things that were in us that we caught and weren't necessarily taught by our parents or by our environments, but things that we picked up by things people said or movies we watched or the things that we heard around us, these are the things that might keep us from stepping into this, this reaching across the dividing lines. And we talked about how some of us were even in a state of denial that these issues actually existed of systemic racism, of oppression of peoples, the economic injustices that are in our world today. We've, we've denied them, but we talked about the importance of learning to acknowledge them, ask God to search our hearts, to reveal them to us, the things that are within us and the things that are around us. The second week, we talked about restoring and rebuilding, that, that God's desire for us, the form of worship that he wants us to take is not just about singing songs. It's not just about giving generously. It's not just about showing up for Sunday morning service. It's not just about reading our Bibles, that the worship God desires from us means that's us expressing our love to him must include forms of justice. They must include a form of setting captives free. It must include us reaching across the lines of division so that unity can be experienced. We talked about how God has a special anointing for people that are willing to step into these places and spaces and use their influence to make a difference in this season. 
And then the, the third week, last week, we talked about what it's going to take in order to do this, that we must, as we step into these places and spaces, be strong and be courageous because we're stepping into uncharted territory. And a lot of us have identified, we're scared. We're scared to step into it. We're scared to say anything. We're scared to say sorry that it took me so long to get here. We're scared to ask questions. We're scared to read a book. We're scared. I'm right there with you. I even shared last week how I was scared to step into this series, even though I've been educating myself and praying and allowing God to break my heart. I was scared to step into this series because I didn't want to lose friends, because I know that politics matter more than people sometimes, and the people that lead that way will exit my life. They'll unfollow me on Facebook and unfriend me in real life. Because it's easy to do that nowadays. Over politics, over preferences, over history. We talked about being strong and being courageous. Stepping into this space to doing whatever God tells us to do. Leaning in and listening and saying, God, what would you have me do? And as he leads us, we step into it and do it. And when we do, he adds his power to it. It was an awesome message. And that's where we've been the last three weeks as we've looked at the subject of neighborliness. How do we love others as we love ourselves the way God has called us to do? This week, I want to wrap up this series to talk about what I believe is going to happen when we embrace the spirit of neighborliness. And it is this. It is that we will see a revival that is hallmarked by unity. This is the next great revival. You say, Aaron, what is a revival? Well, a revival is an awakening. It is a spiritual resurgence that happens in a community. It's where people realize that longing that is within them cannot be filled by drugs or alcohol or sex or success or career. It can't be, uh, be filled by accomplishment. That the thing that they long for most, they awaken to and realize that it is God and God alone that fills that hole in their hearts. And I'm telling you this, the greatest revival that is yet to happen will be carried upon the wings of unity. That when we unite together as brothers and sisters in Christ, when we step across and reach across these dividing lines, we will discover the beauty that God has for us. The next revival, the greatest revolution that the church has ever seen is this one right here. A few years ago in 2012 uh, is when God called me to plant a church. And he had been preparing me for a almost two years up to this point. And um, I remember that, that we wanted to plant a church. My wife and I were like, Lord, maybe, maybe you're calling us. We lived here in Reynoldsburg, and, um, and, and we thought, you know, Lord, maybe you're calling us to plant a church in Pataskala. And we began to explore that, and God closed all the doors to us planting a church in Pataskala. And it became very clear that he wanted us to plant a church in a city where we already lived, where we owned a house, where our kids were in the community, where I was already involved in the community. I I coached soccer and was uh, heavily involved in my kids' lives and activities around the community. And and so, so it became very obvious that we were supposed to plant here in Reynoldsburg. And I didn't know a whole lot about my city. I did know that we were a racially divided city. I knew that one of the fastest growing population of our city was uh, non-white people. It was, it was black and Latino were the, the fastest growing numbers. Now I know there's a, a growing number of Nepalese people that we have here uh, in, in our community. And I, and I didn't know a whole lot about our city, but I knew that God had called me to the city. And I, and I struggled to understand, okay, God, if you've called me to this city, there's 37,000 people here in this city. How am I supposed to reach all of those people? How am I supposed to reach the people who don't look like me? How do I get across the dividing lines? Because, well, 
I'm just a white guy. And, and I had been taught in all of the, the places and spaces that I leaned into and learned about being a pastor that you're going to draw the people that are like you. And so I just kind of assumed, God, I'm only going to reach white people. How in the world do I have non-white people, black and brown and red and yellow and all of the, the colors of the rainbow? How do I have all these people in my church? How do I reach them? I didn't know how to do that. I didn't know how I was supposed to reach a whole city. And just before we launched the church in 2012, I was working for a tech company right there on Main Street near Bryce Road. And every, and every day on my lunch, I, I would go across the street, and I would go right here. This, if you're familiar with our city, this is the Kmart that sits at Bryce and Main in, in Reynoldsburg. It's now closed, as Kmart has been bankrupt, but, but this building still exists here. And I sat in this parking lot on my lunch hours, and I, and I prayed and I cried out to God. And I said, God, I don't know how to win this city. Will you show me how to win this city? God, will you give me wisdom? Will you give me guidance? Will God, will you send me people? Will you send me resources? Will you show me how to win the lost here? And I spent time in this parking lot, weeping and fasting and praying and crying out to God. And as I sat there day in and day out, I saw drug deals happen right out my car window. I saw, I saw homelessness. I saw the impoverished. And it broke my heart. And I knew, I said, God, there's, there's people here that I need to reach. I don't know how to reach them. What do I do? I continued to pray. I continued to pray against things like oppression, addiction. I continued to pray for the lost. continued to pray for the hurting. I, I, consider, I, I began to pray for those that were considered less than by society. And each prayer, as ineptly as I prayed them, without all the right words, without understanding exactly how to pray it, I was praying. And I believe that God used each and every single one of those prayers as a seed. Seeds that I believe today are producing fruit. Not just in our congregation, but in our community and within me and within so many people within our community. We are seeing those seeds come to fruition. And I believe that God, as a result of the many prayers that were prayed in this parking lot, that today God is taking us as a church to the next level. He's guiding us into this next great work. And you have to know that whenever you come to a new level and you come to a new space, my pastor Conan Stevens says, new level, new devil. That, that as we step into this space, there's going to be resistance. There's going to be dividing lines that pop up. Things that were hidden for a long time. Things that reside within people's hearts are going to try to keep us from going forward. Refusal to acknowledge that the issues are there. Denial of them at every turn. Even anger is going to come to the surface. But I'm telling you that what the series represents and why we have to talk about this is that the gospel and good news that we preach must be good news for all, or it is not good news indeed. There are impoverished and neglected, underserved and underprivileged, oppressed, discriminated against, and those that are suffering injustices right here in our city. So when I say that the good news must be good for all, it must be good for them too. It must be good for all because all means all. And as we pray, we're just planting seeds. So I have to ask you, what kind of seeds are you planting? What kind of seeds are you planting in your life? What kind of seeds are you planting in your prayer life? 
What kind of seeds are you planting in your conversations, in your social media accounts? What kind of seeds are you planting on a regular basis? Are you planting seeds of love and acceptance and patience and courage and humility? Because if you are, there's a great revival of unity that is coming. That's, and by the way, unity is one of those things that is a product of love and action. Jesus said, as he was praying for his disciples, he said, Father, let, let us a, a, an indication that they love me be the way, not just the way they love one another, but that unity would surround them. Let unity be the hallmark of their love. And if we're going to see unity be the hallmark of our love, the product of the seeds of love that we plant, we must plant seeds of love that are not related to our personal preferences or the personal ways that we choose to love people. We must plant seeds of love that reach across dividing lines, love that listens, love that leans in, love that is curious about the lives of others different than ours, love that is willing to learn, love that is willing to admit that we are wrong. Love that asks forgiveness. Loves that asks God to search our hearts for anything that offends him. Love that seeks conciliation and reconciliation because you know there is a difference. Reconciliation says we're going to set things back to when they were equal, when, when both sides were, were equal. But that has not been the case in a lot of areas of injustice in our community and in our nation. So reconciliation is great, but there are some areas where that has never, ever happened and never been the case. So we need conciliation. We need equality and justice and love seeks these things and plants seeds this way love that longs to be inclusive love that seeks a unified body of christ and that is willing to crucify our own preferences our politics our causes our desires and our history this is what neighborliness is all about the greatest revival is coming and it is a revival of unity that will come through the spirit of neighborliness so here's what Jesus had to say about seeds, because planting seeds is so important. We need to begin to plant the right ones. Jesus said this, that the kingdom of God, which by the way, when you see the kingdom of God, it's not just talking about this, this kingdom that is up in heaven. You might assume that that is the case. But Jesus, when he references the kingdom of God, is God's way of doing things. So you could read it this way. God's way of doing things is like a farmer that scatters seed on the ground. So if you want to do things God's way, you got to start doing things the way that God does them. God sows seeds like a farmer. This is God's way of doing things. And this is a simple message to understand because we understand how, how grass grows and how, how plants grow and how vegetation grows is that somebody must have planted a seed, whether intentionally or unintentionally. A seed must fall onto the ground, die, and it produces fruit. It's simple. We like to make it more difficult and complicated than this, but it's not. It's a simple message. And Jesus says, if you want to be a, way, a part of, of the way God's doing things, then we need to learn to scatter seeds like a farmer does. The truth of the matter is, is that today, no matter where you're at, you are currently scattering seeds. Whether you're doing that with intentionality, whether you're doing that with positivity or negativity, whether you're doing that uh, it, it, with any kind of like focus, it does not matter. You are sowing seeds every moment of every day. So are you scattering seeds of injustice? Are you scattering seeds of division? Are you scattering seeds so that, that of, of oppression? What seeds are you scattering? You know, I had an interesting conversation with my daughter and, uh, and, and my kids and just said, you know what, hey guys, listen, as you're posting on social media, I want this to be your social media account. And I want you 
to feel all the feelings that you're feeling, and I want you to be able to have your own stance on things, whether that's politically, you know, whether you're Democrat, Republican, or how you stand. I don't want to teach them that one way is right over the other. I definitely share my influences and my thoughts, but <coughs> when it comes down to it, the thing that I care about most as I'm talking about, as, as we're talking about your social media platform and what you share is that your voice matters. <coughs> that as you talk, as you speak, as you share on social media, what you say carries influence. Let's stop. Let's go back to the, I'll go to the my kid posting. Yes, you know, I had an interesting conversation with my kids about their social media and what they posted on their social media. Uh, as a dad, my kids are older, they're grown, my boys are 18, my daughter is 17, and and I, I don't, I don't want to lord over them all that they post on their social media and think for them. So I've just kind of shepherded their hearts in moments. And the questions I have about content that they post on social media is, is what is your goal? Because your voice matters. That, because I believe that every voice matters. That, that whether you are a leader or hold a leadership title, you have influence and your influence matters. The seeds that you're casting matter. So what is your goal in posting this? And so sometimes they'll post things that are inflammatory or they'll post things that, that, that maybe I'm like, eh, you know, what, what do you really want to see happen here? And, and, and let me tell you something. The kids, the kids that are the high schoolers, they're feeling all kinds of stuff right now. And by the way, parents, if you're not having conversations with your kids about this, you totally should. Lean into it. It'll be uncomfortable, but listen to their hearts and listen to what they have to say. And so I'm just curious, and I ask questions. By the way, my oldest two boys are white. My daughter is biracial, and they're, they're feeling very different things. My daughter's feeling lots of things that her black friends are feeling and that her white friends are feeling. And being biracial herself, she's torn in the middle. And so I'm having beautiful conversations around what is your goal with the seeds that you're sowing, the stuff that you're putting on social media, is your goal in doing this, do you want to see racism upended? Do you want to see, see unity happen? Do you want to see this stop? And if the answer to that is yes, I desire unity and not division, then I ask him, I said, so if that's really your heart's desire, then, then look at, at every post you make through the lens of will this bring unity? Am I going to sow seeds that lead to this changing in people's hearts and in their lives? Or am I sowing seeds of more discord and disunity? Because let me tell you something. The, the media is doing a great job of that. I'm not saying that they're just hyping things up, which they are definitely known to do. But there is lots of disunity that is being spread around. That if it bleeds, it leads. That's the stuff that they want to share. <coughs> so you don't have to look far to find disunity. How about, is, is, are you using your voice to sow unity? to sow seeds of love. And so I ask you the same thing. What are you doing with your platform, with your influence? Are you sowing seeds intentionally to produce the result that you desire, to see the fruit grow that you desire in your life and in this world? Or are you sowing more seeds of discord because it's easier to do that, because it's cheaper to do that, because it costs you nothing to do that? Consider what seeds you sow. We're all family. Three, two. So I ask you, just like I ask my kids, what are you doing with your influence, with the seeds that you're sowing? 
Are you sowing seeds of discord and disunity, of otherness, or are you sowing seeds that want to produce the harvest, the kind of fruit that you want to see in your community of social justice, of, of, of economic oppression upended? Are, are you sowing those seeds of oneness, of unity? It's important that we do, and, and the reason why is because really we're all family here. We're all brothers and sisters, and we all belong to God. Each one of us is his kids. We're his kids. We belong to him. And though we all have different colors, God didn't do that uh, unintentionally. He did that on purpose. He wants there to be beauty and the palette and the colors of our skin, the different diversity, the, the backgrounds that we have. God sees beauty in these things, and we need to see beauty in them too. We all belong to him. And so we must intentionally scatter seeds that lead to unity and oneness. Now, the next part of this same verse in Mark 4 is super important for us to get. It says this, that night and day, while he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows. That means that, again, he's either working or he's resting. The seed does this. He's not responsible for that. While he's, while he's asleep or awake, but he does not understand how it happens. God does his part when we do our part of sowing seeds. That's how things change. That's how things grow. That's how we see these, these things upended. Racial, the racial injustices, the systemic racism, we see all this stuff change when we begin to sow seeds. God does his part. It is a miracle. It is a miracle that as we sow seeds of unity, God does his part and things change under the surface in the same way that a seed begins to change. Hearts begin to turn. Systems will change. Communities will change. As we sow seeds, more eyes will be open. More people will, will choose to look instead of refusing to look away at the issues. More influencers will take positions. More people will get educated and read books. Those that are marginalized and oppressed will get lifted up and set free. Systemic racism will be upended. Economic injustices will be corrected. We don't know how it will happen, that's not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to sow seeds. We need to know that when we sow seeds, we can rest, we can work, asleep or awake, God's going to do his part. And the miracle is how the fruit, the, the fruit grows. So we've got to do our part, especially, especially those of us that are members of the white community. Come on, guys. You knew I was going to say this. You knew that I was going to go here. We have a massive responsibility to step into this space to, to sow seeds of listening, to sow seeds of learning, to sow seeds of leaning in, of lamenting, of standing in solidarity with our brothers and sisters. We've got a lot of work that we need to do in order to see a revival of unity. But if we commit to this work of sowing seeds, we'll discover the beauty that God has for us and learn more about his heart in the process. We're going to learn to know him better. We're going to learn to love people the way that he loves people. We're going to learn to love the people that he loves. Mark 4 continues on and says this. He says, The earth produces the crops on its own. First a leaf blade pushes through, then the heads of wheat are formed, and finally the grain ripens. In other words, like I said before, we do our part, God does his part, and the fruit starts to produce fruit, or the, the uh, plant starts to produce fruit. And then he says, And as soon as the grain is ready, the farmer comes and harvests it with a sickle, for the harvest time has come. Now you have to know that Everything in the Bible is not there unintentionally. It's all there with a purpose. And, and, and the thing that I love here is that, that Jesus is saying the harvest is ready. 
that because he's now here on earth, the harvest is now ready, and the farmer comes and harvests it with a sickle. In other words, what I'm saying to you today is that the revival that God intends for the end times, the last great revival that I believe, by the way, if you want to hasten the return of the Lord, jumping on board quicker for this rather than resisting it is what will hasten the return of the Lord. Man, some glad morning, when this life is over, we'll fly away. And that comes on the back of revival, guys, I'm telling you. So we have to, there is a revival that is ready to be had. The, the harvest is ready. Unity is available to us. In fact, Psalm 133 says, behold how good and how pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. It is a sight to behold. It is the beauty that God intends for us to see. It's the beauty that he has designed. And the harvest is ready. But we need to know how to use a sickle because the farmer sows seeds and then he uses the sickle to bring in the harvest. Now, I'm not a farmer, so some research was needed in order to understand a sickle. So you go to Google and you look up a sickle. It says that it's a short-handed or short-handled farming tool with a semicircular blade used for cutting grain, lopping, or trimming. That's it right there. It's a tool that's supposed to help us to bring in the harvest. Well, what does that mean for us? Well, a sickle is supposed to help us, but a sickle is also sharp. That means that if this tool is used incorrectly, it could do more harm than it does good. It means that I can hurt myself and I can hurt others. So as we step into this place and this space to reap the harvest, the great revival that is hallmarked by unity, we have to be careful because we can use the sickle wrong. The spirit-filled, powerful revival that is full of unity and neighborliness is in jeopardy unless we learn how to use it. What does that mean? Well, we, we need to learn how to use it. We need knowledge. We need to listen. We need to step in and be curious about those stories. We need to, to have personal growth. We need to listen to those that currently have platforms. And as we lead ourselves and others to do our parts to sow seeds of unity, we have to be cautious with our sickle. Scriptures say this, that in Luke 10 too, it says, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into the field. Now, of course, Jesus is, uh, is talking about all those that are far from him. But I'm telling you that if we get this unity thing right, this unity is supposed to be the hallmark of the people who love God and love each other. And if the world sees a church that is unified, not uniform, but is unified, that is experiencing unity, that this is supposed to be one of the things that gives glory and honor to God and turns people's hearts to him, that the harvest will be greater as a result of the unity that we experience from reaching across the dividing lines. It, it's going to take you and me, all of us in this together, all of us in this space, to start sowing seeds in prayer and asking God, Lord, not only are we sowing seeds of unity, not only are we sowing seeds of equality, not only are we sowing seeds of justice, but we're sowing seeds and praying and asking God to send more people into this great work of unity. God, send us. Send more harvesters. Can I tell you some sad numbers that I read today? That just on the grounds of racial injustice alone, and this is a research done by the Barna Group, which, by the way, the Barna Group has been known, is widely known and respected. We've relied on them for years for 
for trends of, of within the, the church culture. And a recent report that just came out said this, these very sad numbers that in 2019, that 19% of all Christianities identified themselves as somebody who were unmotivated to address racial injustice. That in the year 2020, so far, that number has gone from 19% to 30%. That number is staggering to me. That 30% of the people within our churches are unmotivated. They lack the motivation. They lack the clarity and the understanding that this is something that is breaking the heart of God. That's why it takes workers like me and like you to step in these spaces and call people to this work, to call people to the hard work of unity amongst ourselves, to call people to the hard work of reaching those that are far from God. A black friend of mine shared that study on his social media, and the comment section was ridiculous. The comment section said, this is crap. Why, why are you posting stuff like this? Are you bored? He said, and they said, this has never, ever been the church. The church has never shown up here. He said, the number's growing. That, that are, uh, other comments said, number's growing of people that are unmotivated. He said, you can't go uh, any higher than zero. Like, that's the lowest of low, that zero percent of the church has been motivated to do anything about this. It's the sad state of our affairs. Is people that are looking at this, they refuse to see it. Other people are saying, it's never happened. And I'm telling you, these are sad things to me that the church would not concern itself with our brothers and sisters who are hurting. We need more workers. We need more harvesters. We need people who are willing to acknowledge the lines and courageously step across them to discover the beauty that God has for us. It's unity. And there will be a revival that comes as a result of the unity that we're to, do, that we're to have. So to those who are oppressed, those who are marginalized, those that are enslaved, I want to tell you today, don't worry. Reinforcements are coming. Workers are being mobilized today and in this series. I'm having powerful conversations with people that are saying, I'm ready. I'm stepping into the space. I'm not going to let this go by the wayside anymore. It's uncomfortable. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm ready to listen and I'm ready to learn. For my part, I have to tell you that I have wept so many times for how long it has taken me to get into this space. For how long I have prayed for racial reconciliation but didn't do the simple work that it took to understand and see how I could be involved. For all the times that I was scared to talk about this. For those of you that have suffered underneath this, I say to you, I'm sorry. And I ask you to forgive me. But I want to tell you that I'm here to stand by your side. I want you to know that I'm here to fight with you, to stand in solidarity, to lean in, to listen, to grow, and to engage. We need more workers. We need more harvesters in the field, especially us white people. We've got a big role. We've got a big job to do. There's a lot of work to do within us and within our community. My question is, will you listen? Will you learn? Will you grow? Will you engage? Will you pray for God to send you? Will you sow seeds asking God to send more people into the harvest and into this work? 
This verse is for somebody today, somebody that's listening. Because there are people that are listening that right now, brothers and sisters in Christ, that feel overlooked, that feel undervalued, and feel cast aside. And to those of you, you need to know that one of the names of God that are used in the Bible is the name Jehovah Jireh. And that name is often translated God provides. But the name can also be translated to God sees. And for those of you that have felt underserved, underprivileged, cast aside, overwhelmed, and overlooked, I need you to know today that God sees you, that he's with you, and that reinforcements are coming. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a promise fulfilled is a tree of life, Proverbs 13, 12. And I need you to know that there's a promise that is coming. There's a promise of a revival of unity is coming. It'll take practical effort. It'll take all of us being a part of it. And communities will change as we do. But here's some practical reminders that I've been giving you a little bit every week. The same, same stuff. So if you're tuning in for the first time, this is, these are the very practical reminders, the practical ways that you can be involved. The first one is education is action. It's actually the first step that you need to take in order to be involved in this, in order to see this change happen, in order to see the church and our community experience unity and the revival that is on its wings. You've got to step into this space. Take some time. Slow down. I know that some of you may feel like you're ready to charge hell with a squirt gun at this moment, but understand that this will, if you skip this step, that stepping into this space without education first is dangerous. It's us wielding our sickle in a manner that may hurt people. So I'm encouraging you to slow down, to listen, to get a book, to read it. In fact, at the end of today's message, as we roll out the credits and we dismiss, I'm going to have across the screen a recommended book list that I have read some of and will be reading, and I encourage you to do the same. These are books that have shaped the leaders and the voices of today that are leading the charge in the spirit of neighborliness. Read a book. Pick one. They're, They're fantastic. Second one is you instinctively pass on what you know. This is why you have to educate yourself. A practical thing is, is, is once you get it in you, you'll start just naturally behaving. You'll begin identifying patterns in your own life without smacking other people around, and they're going to see it in you, and you're going to pass it on whatever you know. So don't skip through this. Don't rush through the education part of it. Slow down and let this change happen within you naturally, all right? And then the third one, you can't become an expert quickly. Again, Take your time. Seeds take time to grow and to produce fruit. So don't rush to engage. The fourth one is don't be a slacktivist. If you go to Urban Dictionary, this word is listed as somebody who is empowered behind a keyboard, that they take up causes and they post on social media, but it is basically a cheap and effortless way for you to contribute to the conversation without it really costing you anything, without you getting some skin in the game. It's really no effort for you to grab an article that somebody else wrote and to share it. And in doing so, again, you're sowing seeds of division or unity. Which are you doing? But don't be a slacktivist. Don't be somebody who just posts online and then never makes any effort in the real world to see change affected in their community. Don't, don't be a slacktivist. And then the fifth one is rest. Like, man, there are, there are seasons of labor, but there is, a, most of all, a season of leaning into and resting and trusting God. This is when the farmer sows, and he, he's awake, 
but he also sleeps, right? It's important for us to rest well together, to enjoy time with one another, not just making it about all the work. It's healthy rhythms of work and rest. God is always at work, and so we can trust him. Because here's the deal. If we do these things, there is a spirit-filled revival that is coming. God's revival of unity that is marked by the spirit of neighborliness, filling our homes, filling our lives, and dear God, I'm praying that it fills our churches. Amen, everybody? Let's take just a moment and pray. Father, today as we wrap up this series, my prayer is that this is not the last time that we think about this subject, that we don't just lean in, we didn't just tune in the last four weeks and give our, give our morning, give our thoughts to this heavy subject, that God, that this becomes part of who we are, the culture of who we are as a church, that God, as we begin to set the culture, it begins to dictate our behaviors, and our behaviors ultimately will produce the results that we desire, God, which is to see unity, a revival of unity storm across this country and this world. God, I pray that, that we have an awareness of who we are, that each and every single one of us is your kids, and that each and every single one of us is loved with an endless love, a reckless love, a love that you have been demonstrating for us throughout all of time. And as a result of that love, God, that we've received, may we learn to love others the way that you love them and the way that we love ourselves. May we fulfill the greatest commandment. May we see revival around the world. Help us to be wise in our efforts, humble in our approach, God. As we sow seeds and you cause them to grow, I pray that, that systems and communities would change as our hearts change. Now, in this moment of prayer, I just want to speak to those of you that maybe find yourself far from God today. Listen, God is calling us to love because he is love. And the truth of the matter is today, he loves you. He wants to be in relationship with you. He's not mad at you. He's not upset over what you did last night. He already knows what you did, and he's not mad. In fact, he's already paid the price for all of the mistakes you've ever made all of your waywardness, all of what your Bible calls sinfulness. Sinfulness is when we live our lives missing the mark of God's best for our life, and that's all of us. All of us have sinned, and yet he loves us. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. Jesus died for us, God's son, because he's the only one who could live a perfect and sinless life and offer his life as a ransom, in other words, as a sacrifice for our own lives. The best you and I could ever do is to live out our lives and then pay for our sins in eternity in separation from God. But God loves you so much that he sent his son to die for us. He gave him up as a sacrifice. And Jesus died a brutal death on a cross, was dead for three days and rose from the dead, and in doing so, allowed us to be forgiven. But more than that, he paid the price for us to be adopted into this spiritual family so that we can know our heavenly father, so that we can have a full and fulfilled life here on this earth. And so that, not so that everything would be perfect, not so that we would be perfect, but so that he would, could be with us, that his spirit could dwell in us, and also that we could have eternity in heaven, just enjoying him. And today, if you say, Aaron, I'm on board for that, we're going to pray a prayer in a moment. If you're in our online community, in, in our online campus, there's a button that's popped up in the chat box. Click that chat box. It says, I'm raising my hand. I'm saying yes to Jesus today. Go ahead and do that, and then pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I need you. Come into my life today. Forgive me of my sins and make me brand new. Fill me with your spirit. Show me how to live for you. 
and show me how to love others. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Man, we're all celebrating with you today. That step of faith that you just took is a huge step. We're proud of you. Welcome to the family. We're so glad that you are here with us. Just know that uh, the, the rest of us, man, we're all sinners too, saved by grace, and we're just glad that you are here with us. We're all just getting better day by day as we follow Jesus. So know that we don't expect perfection from you, but we expect you to be here with us. That's what family does. We gather together. So make sure you come back next Sunday. Also, make sure you fill out a connection card. Give us an opportunity to join you on your spiritual journey. No matter where you live in the world, we would love to partner with you, get you connected with a local church. If you don't live in the area and can't join us for services when we resume weekend services in person, uh, we'd love to be part of that spiritual journey and help you. So if you fill out that connect card, that gives us that opportunity. So make sure that you do that today. Amen, everybody? All right, as we wrap up today's service, man, I want to thank you again for being with us. This is your opportunity to give. Those of you that are prepared to give of your tithes and your offerings, we thank you so much for your generosity. There's ways that are popping up on the screen for you to do that. You can send things in through snail mail if you want. You can text to give any dollar amount to the phone number 84321, and that gets you started. And, uh, or you can use our app or our website. You choose whatever way is most convenient for you. And again, listen, lean in and to what God is leading you to do and how you can be generous today few announcements we want to make sure we share with you. Man, watch parties are still going on. It's the greatest way to remain connected to God, to our church, and to others is to join a watch party or even decide to host a watch party. There's links being shared in the chat box right now or links in the description of this video. And you can choose to host one or, or join one. We'd love to have you fellowshipping with us on a regular basis as we enjoy these messages and grow in our relationship with God in these ways. Also, our next gathering, man, we had an incredible gathering last weekend. We really enjoyed seeing you all, and our next gathering is scheduled for October 24th. Details are forthcoming, but it is going to be gather around the fire. We are going to have worship and prayer uh, gathered around a campfire outdoors, a big bonfire, as you would. And uh, it's going to be fellowship and s'mores and lots more surprises. So please make your plan to join us. Mark it on the calendar. 6 p.m. October 24th is going to be our next gathering. And uh, details will be coming very, very soon on with the location of that. And then also next week we start our brand new series called Stay Positive. So make sure you invite a friend. And we'll see you right back here next week at Simple Church. God bless. Love you guys.